May Melissa Catt created the installation Karmic 2 in 2021 for the Jack Straw New Media Gallery. When a person stepped inside the gallery at Jack Straw Cultural Center, you would notice that it's dimly lit. Um, and once you enter and allowed your eyes to adjust, you would realize that it's lit by screens and blue lights. And if you start to notice, the blue lights are actually black lights and certain things in the gallery uh, glow. And what I wanted the viewer to experience was like a different sense of perception, an altering sense of perception, and also looking at things literally in a new light. I thought a lot about how I wanted to show ad space, how I wanted to show and critique advertising. I also wanted to show and critique like how Asian bodies are viewed in the media. And so what you'll see when you enter is you'll see um, three sculptures. Two of them are a vintage porn magazine that are cut out by laser. And then you'll see a sculpture, which is a clear case that encompasses those cutouts from the magazine. And so the sculptures that are the magazines are encased by a clear frame, but it also is attached to the UV lights. And the UV lights are there to shine, like shine through the back so that you would see the illuminated cutouts. So what I did was I took horror movies, posters that are of um, the 90s, Taiko's Pikachu, and superimposed them onto these magazines. And so once you enter the exhibition, you'll see the cutout of the movie posters lit through the magazine. The largest screen in the gallery is a piece called Horror and Its Universe. Um, I had the pleasure of making music for it here at the Jack Straw Cultural Center. I also was able to expand on a larger piece of performance that I did in 2020. So um, there are three parts to the larger piece of Horror and Its Universe. First, there is the intro, which is a music, and then it ends with the outro, which is actually the music to a theme song of a 90s Thai ghost soap opera uh, in Thailand. When I was younger, my grandmother would wake me up to school by playing this like Pikachu, like ghost soap opera for me to like wake up to. And so that's just been embedded in my brain. And so the theme intro of that soap opera was like four minutes long. And through the residency here, I was able to recreate it with the engineers here. <laughs> 
And so in horror and its universe, um, the song that we created here were under a minute, but we reversed it just using that like horror movie convention of like the devil is like talking when you play things backwards, I guess. And then horror and its universe starts the actual performance. Horror and its universe is a performance where I pretend to give a lecture on Zoom about Southeast Asian horror movies. And throughout the piece, online ads start to come up. And these online ads start to specifically point to certain events in time during the horror of 2020 and 2021 COVID-19 pandemic. And so as you go throughout the piece, you're entertained, you're kind of like being swept into certain things, certain ads. And then eventually you'll enter like the Zoom bomb. <laughs> that is like ad space times 800. Bok-bok um, is an 8-bit game where you play as um, a Thai food delivery boy and wow. his fight for survival during the COVID-19 pandemic. Wow. You need to deliver the food to the customers by dodging cars and obstacles. No. Watch out for the baddies, the Karens, and the girl boss. And then you come out of it to realize that this was a class for ghosts learning how to haunt humans, right? So it like goes, it follows that horror convention of like, at the end, it's revealed that everyone's a ghost. I sat down with May in the Jack Straw Studios to talk about the conception and evolution of this installation, as well as its themes, from movie ghosts and monsters to the real-life horrors of racism and misogyny. When I first came in and was checking out your piece in the gallery, I was really struck by the history of it and how it all began. It began in 2019, is that right? So this piece went all the way back in 2019. I'd say 2018, when I did a new fellowship at Open Signal in Portland, Oregon, there um, I was able to propose that I would like to watch Thai horror movies for one whole year and then do an immersive installation about it. And during this whole fellowship, I was able to watch Thai horror movies in contemporary kind of era, like in the 2000s and before that, which is like the 90s, like the B-movies and things like that. I also was able to have a mentor who was a Thai art historian and curator. And because of that, he really pointed me towards reading a lot about the history of movies, but also like read about media theories and race theories and gender and all that. So in the first exhibition in Karmic One, I realized that there were a lot of brutalized femme and female Asian bodies that were displayed. And that was the horror of it. I specifically and intentionally in Karmic One did not want to show the gore of it. I didn't feel like reshowing that would be honorable. Mm -hmm. And so what I did instead was I start to critique certain things. So in Karmic One, I took a lot of snapshots of monks inflicting violence onto ghosts, right? And that also started to show, like, Buddhist propaganda that Thailand was 
beginning to have. And as you see, like the current events with Thailand today, there are a lot of democracy protests. And so I'm starting to see some sort of political, religious propaganda in those movies. I also did this one piece where I captured sunrises and sunsets in horror movies to talk about reincarnation and birth and death and rebirth, just to look at things in a more non-Abrahamic timeline. I'm so intrigued by the fact that as an artist, you're taking work and as you continue in these explorations and as they blossom and unfold, you're also continuing that work forward in response to what's happening around you in the world and responding to those explorations for, you know, the initial project that goes back to Karmic One. There are some specific events that you mention as being part of the inspiration for Karmic Two. Can you talk about what some of those other events were? Yes. During the COVID-19, you can see the rise of anti-Asian xenophobia and racially motivated hate crimes against those who are of Asian descent. Um, They would mock and discriminate and use words such as the Chinese virus or the Kung flu. And most throughout my life, these kind of anti-Asian statements are usually dismissed and um, aren't considered like, that's not that racist. Come on, like have a joke. And there's like a a rage inside of me that I hold back, right? Because you don't want to be seen as the angry person of color. You don't want to be seen as the angry woman of color. Um, And you kind of have to like go under the radar sometimes to get to where you need to be. And sometimes as an Asian woman, like there's a risk of gender violence that's directed towards you. Besides that, the increase in anti-Asian violence, um, one other event, unfortunate event, was the 2021 Atlanta shooting where um, a gunman was able to take eight lives and six of them were Asian women. They were blamed because they incite his sexual addiction. Um, there is a link to that and the gender violence that Asian women face every day were gaslit to downplay, such as um, being infantilized, right? Treating Asian women as if they're children. And so I think that what really made me go towards the adult magazine, <laughs> because like the racism was so blunt. <laughs> And like I, when I like picked up those magazines, I realized how triggered I was by just holding that, and how I, I realized that like certain generation view me this way. What's it like to create this kind of work right now, where maybe there are more people who are finally stopping and observing and listening and really hearing it? What's it like to create work in this moment? There's a lot of emotions that go through me daily, just understanding that people are not denying racism anymore like they did during the post-racial Obama era. Mm -hmm. And then seeing like 
works that should have been talked about 10 years ago, finally getting their dues and respect, but also seeing a lot of appropriation of those kind of cultural works as well, or people who should have been in the meetings, who relate to the meetings about racism, like taking over decades-long projects or ideas from people of color or black women it really it like gives me a lot of feelings of like resentment a little bit Mm -hmm. Uh, but also like I am grateful that these conversations about race and gender and so many other things are being talked about and not covered up with like a coexist bumper sticker anymore so I'd say, yeah, a lot of mixed emotions. But there's a lot of work to do still. I often wonder, as we're in the midst of this shifting cultural awareness within the United States, about sort of what stories are coming forward and what are sort of of coming forward but maybe still... On the outside, I feel like one of the things that's happening right now is we say, you know, BIPOC or POC, and we're sort of, I say we as the perspective of a white woman, and that we're still lumping people in together when there is such a broader experience beyond what it is to be BIPOC or POC. Yeah, I. one thing I'd like to remind people is that not all Asians are East Asians. You know, there are the Southeast Asian communities and there are the South Asian communities as well. Not all Asians are East Asian, but when you see the events that are affecting the Asian American community, what's most dominant and mainstream are usually from the voices of East Asians or Asian men. Not Asian women, not darker skin Asians, not trans women who are Asians. Um, It's usually the men that speak over everyone. So I would encourage you to pass the mic really to um, other Asian communities and pay attention to certain things that are affecting other communities, such as, um, you know, the brutalization of Asians by ICE, for example, that has been going on throughout, I mean, the Trump era, but also before that, beyond that, right? Um, That has always been there, but we we don't really hear about it as much as like food microaggressions or, you know, like uh, what's called like the lunchbox politics, which is like the mainstream Asian American conversation that's usually about food (laughs) or like, you know, the microaggression of like, where are you from, right? Uh, there are definitely things affecting Southeast and South Asian communities. And I'd say ICE is uh, a pretty big one. In collaboration with Mama Fuku and the Kentucky Fried Chicken. In collaboration with Crops, Classic Crops. Are we being haunted right now? What's going on? The Fuck Lot Platform takes it to another level. Before you began your fellowship in watching all of those movies, would you have classified yourself as a person who is a fan of horror movies? 
Absolutely not. <laughs> Absolutely not. Oh, okay. And so what was the impetus for taking the time to really immerse yourself in those? The reason for me wanting to immerse myself in horror movies was because I, I really wanted to trace back this ghost, like this ghost, uh, Pikachu. And basically, you know, she exists as a folklore. Mm-hmm. She's a vampiric, cannibalistic floating head with intestines flying. So her story was that she was a Cambodian princess who was married to a Thai prince, and she was caught having an affair with a soldier. And so they were going to burn her. But before they did, she went to a witch who gave her a potion that would protect her from the fire. However, um, only, um, like, it didn't work out in time. So her head and her intestines and guts were protected, but not her entire body. So... The reason I wanted to trace myself back through horror movies first is because um, there's a language barrier for me to read Thai text <laughs> to like learn more about her. Mm-hmm. And she's she has existed throughout Thai media like, kind of like forever, right? Like through oral tradition. But now you see her in like, 60, like 60s movies to like 90s movies, like the 2000s where she like has romance and like a boyfriend like movie or something like that. There's so much thematically in this work that's about ghosts and monsters. And I think that there are times where those terms are synonymous and times when they don't have as much overlap. Can you talk about how ghosts and monsters are either the same or different within the context of this piece? Yeah, I see them like on the same spectrum and sometimes I use them interchangeably, but I I would say like the monsterization happens with most ghosts. So ghosts usually in media is like the once human, no longer human. Usually when it comes to, like, ghosts seeking revenge, women seeking revenge, especially, like, the monstrous feminine. It's, like, the woman coming back for revenge because she didn't have the power in her living mm-hmm. life, right? So I would say P. Grasu is also a monster. She's a ghost, but she's also a monster, right? <laughs> so when you look at monsters, they usually hold certain social control. They're like a social construct to control the masses. So, for example, in Pikrasu, like, you know, back then it's like, okay, she's like attracted to like filthy things. So, like, be clean so that you don't invite like a, a plague into your, your village or something, right? And like these fears are kind of like mapped throughout uh, ghost stories or like monster stories. So, for example, uh, I notice a lot of like, zombie movies that are like related to like biohazard like mm-hmm. <laughs> things um and it's like okay so what's the fear then right and then to kind of like look at the monsters in our everyday life it's like who do we object who do we like cast away who do we blame who do we like fear you know and you can look that with the lens of xenophobia and things like that and it's like okay like the immigrants are like 
the hot fear right now in America, mm-hmm. like brown people, I guess. And, you know, just to connect it back to the Georgia shooting, it's like Asian women, <laughs> uh, like the desire for them. Right. That there's no onus on the the person who is doing the desiring. Right. That we are othering and saying, well, the desire that is evoked in me by Asian women, that's the monster. Is that sort of the framework that you're talking about? Yeah. It's like I have the desire to fetishize. Like I'm actively fetishizing. And I fear that desire and I have the fear of that desire. Like, And I have to punish someone else and take lives, right? As part of Karmic 2 here, this story being about teaching ghosts how to go out and haunt, right? How to fulfill their ghostly destiny. Yeah. And incorporating that with the idea of who's creating the monsters or what structures are creating monsters, right? What is it that you would say is making the ghosts rather than just being like, I'm just going to hang out and be a presence? (laughs) What is that thing I can't, wait. What? That is saying, no, what your purpose is, ghost, is to go out and terrorize. Yeah. And so I'm glad you, you mentioned that up. Like, what's the point of this class, right? Like, so uh, what I mentioned in the, the Zoom class was this question of, like, where the ghosts go when they die, right? Like, so the idea of, like, cosmology of, like, what's the end existence of ghosts? And so that kind of, like, ties into what kind of started this project is, like, karma. Like, what is, like, the karmic balance to life, right? And so, like, I'd say, like, from what I was taught growing up in like a Thai household and like kind of like has like a Buddhist kind of undertone is like you balance out karma by doing good deeds, right? So you like balance out karma for your ancestors by doing good things in their name. Um, But also like the idea of ghosts, like upping their karma is like taking away the injustices in the world. Ah. So, you know, paranormal punishments was mentioned in there, right? (laughs) Um, Karmic justice, really. Like, that's that's what that Zoom class was about. Like, it's it's steering you into karmic justice, and these are the ways that you can go about it. And in the end, they mentioned, like, okay, some of you are here because of femicide. Some of you are here because of, like, state-sanctioned violence, right? Mm -hmm. Like, there are these things that has harmed you in the world. And so just kind of like leaving that off, like what can you do to balance out karmic justice? Haunt the folks (laughs) who've made the world terrible. Haunt the oppressors, you know? Like I'm totally down for that. 
May Melissa Katz installation, Karmic 2, was created through the Jack Straw New Media Gallery Residency Program. Podcast interviewer is Alyssa Keen. Produced by Levi Fuller and Joel Maddox. Engineer is Joel Maddox. Jack Straw Executive Director is Joan Rabinowitz. The Jack Straw Artist Residency Programs are made possible with support from the Seattle Office of Arts and Culture, Four Culture King County Lodging Tax Fund, Washington State Arts Commission, National Endowment for the Arts, Rainier Institute and Foundation, Arts Fund, and individual contributors. To learn more about our arts programs and hear more podcasts, visit us at jackstraw.org.